Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine this. You're stranded on an island forever. But don't freak out because you get to bring one dish with you. Your desert island dish. What is it? Every week, your hosts, Paul and Tegan, that's us. Hello. Hello. We'll ask this question. They'll chat with and torment a literal raft of guests on the island who'll dish up stories, gossip, and culinary secrets. But they all have one big thing in common. They bloody love food. Welcome to Dish Island. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dish Island. I'm Paul Verhoeven. Hello, hello. Oh God, I'm trapped here with a chimney sweep. No, that's Tegan Higginbotham, despite what you may have just heard. And Tegan, may I please pivot aggressively towards your baking this weekend past? Yes, you can. You absolutely, most certainly can. Now, you made eclairs. I did make eclairs. So it was my dad's 60th birthday on the weekend. And one of his favorite things in the whole wide world, which is very sweet, is my eclairs that I make for him. The man just likes a lovely shoe pastry with a bit of a chantilly cream filling. Whack a little bit of chocolate on top. Happy days. But I decided to level up this weekend and I decorated them. They had gold leaf and freeze-dried raspberry and all sorts of shit going on. The world is a tricky, confusing place fraught with horrors right now. Do you not feel a little bit weird putting edible gold on things? Well, you discussed this with Melissa last year back in Series 1. And yeah, gold is weird, but my dad turned 60 and nothing but the best to ever. <laughs> Nothing but the best. And also, he's a big Carlton supporter, and we took him oh. to the Carlton game, to the opening Carlton game of the season. Now, for those of you outside of Victoria or outside of Australia, it's the national pastime, right? And basically, our football club, the Blues, mm-hmm. had not won an opening match against Richmond Football Club since 2013. So I spent a stupid amount of money on these tickets, knowing that it was very unlikely that we would be leaving that stadium feeling anything other than heartbroken. Mm. And in the second quarter, the Blues actually kind of bounced back. We had a really good second quarter, and I remember turning to my dad and going, look, we really enjoyed that quarter, and that may have to be enough. (laughs) We may have to (laughs) savour that moment and expect nothing more from the universe. Be grateful for what you've had, Yeah, exactly. We had some joy. As Carlton supporters, we don't expect much more. Nope. But my God, that fourth quarter, we we won. Spoiler alert, everybody. The Blues won. My dad literally had tears in his eyes. We were jumping up and down on our seats, cheering. It was just, it was such a good night. The huge scandal of the evening was the fact that the MCG was so packed that people were waiting in line for 40 minutes to buy chips and beer, which is a travesty. <laughs> That's right. It's un-Australian. Damn straight. Now... I would argue at this point that regardless of how they perform for the rest of the season, every single member of that team that played that night is a national treasure. And speaking of national treasures, our guest today on the show is a national treasure. He's an author, he's a broadcaster, and he is the host of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette Australia. Please give it up for Osher Gunsberg. Oh, I'm giddy already. 
Welcome to Dish Island, my friend. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about today, but I thought we'd start with this. How is your relationship with food now compared to how it was, say, 10 years ago? Well, I guess my relationship with food now is informed by a celiac diagnosis three and a bit years ago. So up until then, the way I ate was purely by choice and ethical choice. I don't eat animal products um, because in the mid-90s, I learned how much land, how much water, how much energy is used in the, to get meat on our plates. And I thought, well, that's a huge waste of resources. We could use that land for you know, air and we could use that water for people and all this food that we grow to feed livestock, we could feed people with it. So, and that was it. So that was the mid-90s. I stopped eating altogether. And eggs was 2002. So 20 years I've stopped. I haven't eaten animal products. About three and a half years ago, I was doing, you know, one of those transformation editions of magazines. Magazines used yeah. to be these things. They were made out of paper. Uh, they were shiny. <laughs> um, you saw them at the servo while you were, anyway, uh, it was for a men's health magazine. And it was, this is what he looked like before. And here's what he looks like now. So it was 10 weeks of like really intense um, eating and training. And it was, you know, I lost a ton of weight, put on a heap of muscle. It was the most ripped I've ever been in my life. Through that, I did a thing called a DEXA scan, which is like a, a low energy X-ray, and they saw that my bone density was quite low. And I'm like, that's a bit odd. I was only forty. Oh. I was only forty three at the time. I was like, why well, my bone density so low? Anyway, Audrey and I were trying to conceive at the time too, and I was, you know, so you know things weren't working out. I had the app. I had the, you know, I was, you know, timing everything. I don't know if anybody's listening has tried to conceive, and it's just, it's harder than they tell you in PE in high school, and certainly after you're thirty. Anyway, so things weren't working. So I went to go get some uh, tests from this doctor and she went, I told her about the bone then. She goes, let me just do one more blood test. And she found out that I am off the chart celiac, which if you don't know what celiac disease is, it's a gene expression that gets turned on. Basically, when gluten touches your duodenum, which is the first meter and a bit after your stomach, your body goes, oh my God, a pathogen has made it past all that acid. Fuck quick save us all and it destroys the villi which are those kind of pink tendrily things that come down you know if you remember in the aforementioned pe class um there's a weird little tendrily things that on either side of your duodenum where the nutrients get absorbed into your body so it just destroys it melts it turns your body into a drain pipe your intestines into a drain pipe so i was absorbing no nutrients my body was starting to shut down yeah so now, I mean, I'd been on antipsychotics for a while and that really suppresses your testosterone response and other things. And I, it wasn't really bouncing back. I was like, what, what's going on? Why is my testosterone still so low? Anyway, I found out that my body was shutting down and um, the next step was uh, my cognitive function was going to start turning off because my thiamine deficiencies were going to really kick in. I was like, fuck that. As much as I love sourdough, hit me with the GF crackers for the rest of my life. So my relationship with food is very different these days. This is one of the questions that I was going to ask, though, because when you get this sort of a diagnosis, I wonder if everybody goes, yeah, but how bad is it? Like, how celiac am I? And am I willing to put my life or my health at risk? Because bread's pretty great. It sounds like for you that really wasn't an option. 
Tegan. So right, so they basically to they, the blood test is the first one, but then they actually have to do a biopsy just to actually double check. And the gastroenterologist yeah. says, "Mate, I'm going to need you to go back in. I'm going to need you to just like have a really big blowout, have the last supper, and just get right in there." Because um, <laughs> then they do it's essentially it's the channel tunnel procedure um, where they go in both ends and um, they Ouch. you know take a little bit of your intestine, your bits and pieces out just to double check. So the very last meal of gluten I ever ate in my life <laughs> was a delicious, delicious bowl of Yasaka ramen on Liverpool Street in Sydney with my oh. wife. And I don't know if you've ever had Yasaka ramen, but they make the noodles every day. They're as fresh as can be. And the wow. broth, the vegetarian broth they make is exquisite. And I ate this ramen dish with my wife and it was like this farewell. This, it was kind of like... If you've ever had a summer fling and you're like, okay, you know, we're both in Greece, but you've got to go back to Canada and I've got to go back to Australia and this is the this is it. This is the last time we're ever going to shag. And it's amazing. And you say goodbye. It was that. It was amazing. Wow. I've never been to Greece, but it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. That was it. The, the biopsy came back and they went, yeah, you're in. And the wild thing is, is I think it's like one in seven People are celiac in Australia, but only one in four know. And I'm, and of those stats, which is pretty wild, one in three celiacs don't get any GI symptoms. I've known celiacs, I've worked with celiacs, you get really sick. Even the slightest dusting of wheat on something will cause them to just kind of blow up like a party balloon and they'll just in agony for days. I don't get any GI symptoms at all, gastrointestinal symptoms. So I was really lucky to find out. And cognitively, I'm way clearer now. My testosterone, my hormone response is much better now. I think a lot better now. My mental health is so much more improved. Yeah, it's stunning how... And what's wild is the doctor. He was an interesting cat. He was between all the terrifying cancer and death talk. He goes, yeah, actually, Peter, look, yeah. He goes, I don't know what, where his accent's from in the UK. He goes... <laughs> I like that one, though. You end, up, you end up eating really well as a celiac. You don't see many celiac fatties because they can't, they can't eat any like... <laughs> You know, there's not many celiac fatties because they can't eat all that pasta and the bread. <laughs> it's so funny that you say that because my dad's been struggling um, with diabetes for a little while and he had a, a bit of a bad turn with it towards the end of last year. And he got some, for, initially he got some really bad feedback sort of things that if this keeps going and if your blood sugar continues down this path, uh, things are not looking good. But on the flip side, they said, if you actually lean in and if you do the things that you should do to look after your blood sugar, you can sometimes end up having a longer life expectancy than people without diabetes just because you'll be eating so well. Yeah. Is he, uh, uh, you know, is it like type one or is it a type two such a scenario? It's a type two um, oh, yeah. that's gone, that's edged towards insulin dependency. Yeah, heavy. It was, it was pretty bad for a little while there. I would, and your doctor's, his doctor's right. I would encourage you to look into the, the quite robust science about, and I'm not just saying this because this is the way I eat, but there's quite robust science about following a plant-based mm. diet to reverse type two diabetes. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's stunning, actually. It's stunning science. It's not rocket surgery. It's all you do is eat good food and you're, get better who knew and if, yeah i know right and i think the really interesting thing with diabetes as well is because you're doing the regular little tests for your blood sugar yeah. unlike a lot of things where you've got to wait until you go back to the doctor again you can see quite immediately yeah. you do good thing your body does good things you do bad things your body does bad yeah. things and it's you know the feedback is so is so rapid that you almost can't ignore it yeah i've there's a, a young person in my life who is uh 
a diabetic. He's one of our mate's kids. And I, was, I think he's like 11, I think. Anyway, he's got a pump, you know, because when kids are, you know, I remember going to school with diabetic kids and, you know, they had to have take needles and shit to school. They don't have to do that anymore. They just put a pump on and it senses how much you need and it pumps it into you. Mm. But there's a, an app, right? And I was... Uh, he was this kid was running around. He was playing on the on the trampoline out the back with Wolf, uh, who's nearly three now. And and she goes, "Oh, watch this!" She pulls out a phone, and after five minutes of jumping on the trampoline, you just see his blood sugar on her phone because it's a basically a live readout essentially, just plummet like a ski jump. Wow! Just five minutes on trampoline. Like, it's, it's bonkers. Oh, my God. I mean, we're sitting here talking about, you know, being a celiac or being a vegan or being a diabetic and all of these things, like, aggressively affect what you can and can't eat. But it seems to me, as an outside kind of Luddite, that the focus seems to be on what you can't eat as opposed to what you can eat. How has being a celiac changed your relationship with food from a joy perspective? Like, does food still spark joy for you? Oh, you absolutely, still- yeah? Paul. Oh, without a doubt. Look, I am... I, I, look, I describe myself often as the most boring man in the world because not only am I <laughs> am I vegan and celiac, I'm also sober. So, like, that really, there's like f- all that makes me feel happy. That you know, there's very few things that I put in my mouth that make me feel really happy. And oh. and food is is it, all right? Coffee as well. Oh, um, coffee. That's my last drug is caffeine, and you'll pry that from my cold dead hands. And yeah, food. Like I'm, I I love food so much. And when, as a my my wife's best mate, she found out she was celiac when she was seventeen. And she, I was I was talking to her about it. This was before I knew. And she goes, I look at you know food that's got gluten in it, and it's essentially like looking at gravel. You know, I I would never put it in my mouth. And it's like fair enough. You know, because even the smallest amount of gluten um, can cause this response in your duodenum and can really f- you right up. So, yeah, look, I, I, I love food and it absolutely sparks joy. I miss the convenience of just throwing toast in a toaster mm. or the convenience of a, a bread that won't just break because gluten is the spongy stuff that keeps cakes and things together. Um, there's ways around it, and you know, my my wife is extraordinary at, at finding alternatives, and because she wants, you know, she's like, oh, well, I want to make something, you know, nice for you. Audrey's a very magnificent, magnificent cook, and um, yeah, she communicates her her love for others through food. Yeah, she so she works she works really hard to find alternatives, and there's ways you can do it. There's egg replace kind of vibes you can do, binding agents like bananas or chia gels and things you can make and it works really well but yeah man i still absolutely adore food i love food so much and yeah it's so much so that i have you know i've had a problem my relationship with food's been on and off over the years as far as you know compulsively using it as a way to make if, if i'm anxious you know there's I get this weird feeling in my tummy and for years to a good way of making that weird feeling in my tummy go away was by putting things in it and so i ended up getting quite large i guess you know i, I miss the convenience of it of of gluten based foods as kind of like how I miss the instant gear change from that first drink of the day, you know, yeah. the going from what a day is work and then ah oh, back I'm home now yeah everything's all right how was your day honey you know <laughs> I can access that feeling through other techniques I use breathing methods I use exercise I use other sorts of things but you know that that is a convenience thing i can't use that anymore because it doesn't work out well for me because it it doesn't stop 
And so, yeah, that's I guess that's the only thing I'd miss, Paul. Yeah, and food has a has a, a huge amount of nostalgia. Food has a mm. huge nostalgic touch, and it connects us to our youth or the feeling of our parents' love or our mother's love. Um, particularly a, a dish that your your parents cooked or your mother cooked or your father cooked that gave you that feeling of oh I'm, I'm home I'm safe I'm warm I'm dry these people are protecting me and I associate that with this taste of this whatever it might be the spag bowl or whatever it is your your parents made at that point in time so when it comes to as you were mentioning earlier Paul you know lifestyle choices and lifestyle changes that like well you can keep eating this way and you'll die or you can change the way you eat and you'll be fine in fact you might even do way better it's it's heartbreaking cuz like but I, I i can't not eat that cuz that is my last connection with this person that might not be alive anymore what were those oh. connections with home if if you had to dish them up on a plate oh look far out you know my my mom and my dad they're both euros and they had you know a dietary, you know, palate and a, and a menu that had nothing at all to do with Australia's climate or, you know, food availability. So <laughs> uh, it was meat, meaty, meat, meat, meat and more meat. And, you know, for me, it was actually pretty easy to let that stuff go. It was no, it was really no problem for me to let that stuff go. But I understand why people might be reluctant to go. But I can't not eat lamb chops because the smell of lamb chops is the smell of Sundays with my parents Yeah, and the feeling of safety. They may not connect that. They may just go, no, I can't. I would never eat. I would never eat a plate just full of vegetables. It has to have meat on it. Has to. Right. They may not right. understand where that comes from. Could you substitute? Could you find a, like a an interesting, doable facsimile? Because I noticed that you shared a recipe for an eggplant parmi, and you shared oh, yeah. this with the world quite shamelessly. And we had Lola Berry on last season, and she deadpan pitched us avo chips as something worth eating as a replacement for real chippies and Tegan looked physically angry as she did this. So <laughs> can can the kind of uh, healthy substitute be as good as the real thing? Can you kind of capture the magic without compromising your health? Um, I've never really been someone for um, early in my days. Let me just start this. When I first moved to America, I lived there for 10 years. When I first moved to America in 2005, I could not fucking believe that there was a tofu aisle. All right. And there were these like unbelievable, like, to- like veggie bacons and sausages and all these kinds of stuff that is really intensely processed. But is this kind of a stepping stone away from, well, I look down at my plate, my plate's always got a sausage or bacon on it. So therefore I will put this similarly shaped thing and this thing that has yeah. been engineered and you know a chef has popped in to make it taste similar um, on there. And eventually for me, I, I transitioned away from that because like, oh, I actually just enjoy not having that. So th- when it comes to substituting I understand why some people may want to do that. I get that. That's that, that stepping stone. If you want to do that, that's fine. However, it's 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 almost like saying that not having it is is not an option. But life without meat is pretty amazing, dude. Like it's it's <laughs> uh, yeah. When I did that men's health thing, I I lost nine kilos of fat and put on two and a half kilos of muscle, and that was you know not much more than just a shitload of chickpeas. You know, which chickpeas are, are really on carbohydrate and, uh, you know, one serving is the same amount of protein as a serving of steak. It's like solid, you know, protein's protein. doesn't give a shit where, you know, where it, what package it comes in, honestly. It's more of a headspace thing. I think if you've got to, I have to have a substitute. It's like, well, why? 
Why do you have to have a substitute? Why must you have a meat-shaped or meat-tasting thing on your plate? Why does mm. it have to be there? And that's a, more of a question for you to answer. Could I um, chat to you and take a step back just about that men's health shoot you yeah. did? I haven't seen that shoot. I'm going to go searching for it right now. It's <laughs> you, fantastic. Paul? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> there is a yearning in your voice, Paul. It's got a Hemsworthian and flavour to it. It was oh, awesome. I don't know. I've, I don't know about that, mate. He's got, <laughs> he's got, I've got a, a good 20 kilos of muscle on me, man. Jesus. <laughs> the only reason I want to talk about it is because one of the things I remember, in, and I don't know if it's recent history, time has no meaning to me anymore, um, but I remember you once were shamed horribly in magazines oh, yeah, for your yeah, pod. Was, yeah. And I remember it was it was really shitty and you actually clapped back, if I remember correctly. Yeah. To, to hear that you then did a shoot like this where you're once again on the cover of a magazine, was that a subconscious – was there a link there between those two moments? Was this just something that you did for yourself? What 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 prompted you to make that decision to, to do that men's health shoot? There was no link whatsoever. Okay. No, no link whatsoever. No, I, when I got papped, I didn't just clap back. I took those sons of. Yes. <laughs> I took those people to the uh, the press council, and what's wild is that um, it was the first time that someone had taken uh, a publication who had papped someone and body shamed someone to the press council and found a ruling in their favour. Now, oh, I'm congrats. a I'm a man. How many times did, has that shit happened to women in our community yeah. over the decades? Like, it's just par for the f***ing course, whereas such and such as, you know, VPL as they get in the car after doing groceries or some shit like that. It's reprehensible, but yeah. that is how those folks make their money. But, you know, I try to make sure I can sleep at night with the gigs that I do, but, you know, your garden, your path, pal. Anyway, um, it was pretty because I was on antipsychotics at the time and, you know, you put on a lot of weight with that, with your insulin response and you know it was it was super shit anyway no the men's health thing had nothing to do with that at all the men's health thing was like my whole life i i was in weight watchers when i was eight so as i mentioned my my relationship with food's been hard okay and compulsive eating has been a part of that i ended up at 17 in high school i was 112 kilos in grade 12 wow. yeah and just total shame and and, and and horrible like complete body shame and body dysmorphia and just it was awful my whole life i was terrified of people seeing me with my shirt off but i knew uh, i was starting to realize i was starting to realize that my pathway out of a life of anxiety and the life of the the, the mental um health challenges that end, ended me up on antipsychotics the my pathway out of that involved exposure therapy involved just being with the discomfort of the thing and being with it and then soon enough my body would adapt and i was like you know what it might be about time for me to get past this and so when they asked i was like yeah i'm terrified of this so i'll say yes because when else am i going to get i'm never going to get a better chance to do this and be supported through it and so i went there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
for it. It was actually it was actually really good because I learned so much about my body, particularly with um, my mental health and how much exercise plays a role in uh, and how much exercise and nutrition plays a role in in great mental health. Um, it's no, it's not a secret sauce, guys. You know, you, if you eat more uh, energy than you're expending, that energy is going to store somewhere on your body. That's it. Yeah. If you want to get that stored energy off your body, expend more energy than you're putting into your body. And that's it. If you want to, uh, you know, have a better mental health kind of operating mechanism, make sure that your body's getting the nutrients it needs and is doing the movements that it needs to do in order to give your body the gift of the hormones that it can use to change mood states throughout the day. Mm. Your body's designed to move. Your body's designed to lift things. Your body's designed to lift things heavier than you. And it's important to do that, to trigger those hormonal responses, which that, that's what our body is supposed to do. And a sedentary life um, and shitty nutrition will give you uh, that kind of result in your, in your brain and your outlook and... And they're inexorably linked, inexorably linked. And I also learned, like, I guess the main thing I learned is that you don't build muscle in the gym. You build muscle when you're asleep. So you can Mm. do all, you can take three hours at the gym if you want, but you better do a shit ton of recovery because that that muscle Mm. only builds when you're in recovery. But you've got to be in caloric excess to make that happen. It's it's not science. It's just the headspace behind it. I build Lego while I'm asleep. <laughs> I realize it's a stupid joke. No, because during lockdown, I, I um my mental health took a hit. I got extremely yeah. sad, but then I started doing karate three times a week. Yes. And it's like a drug. It's literally like a it I, I cannot do I cannot not do exercise now. I took a few weeks off and got really sad. Went to class last night, bounced back into the house. Like it was it was magic. The change was wild. But it's really funny because we've discussed, Paul, the fact that I feel like from twenty twenty onwards, maybe it was there beforehand, but social media really gave people permission to look after themselves. You do you, self care and all that sort of stuff. And then I think and that's a, an incredibly important message, of course. But I think that's somehow conflated to doing less and so that you're not stressed do less maybe watch three episodes of television back to back on the couch and it all seemed to me about or at least I certainly interpreted it as less is better for me less will equal less stress and I got to the end of last year and was just in absolute pieces I was I was not in a good place and I think I realized that sometimes to look after yourself actually means taking the hard road and it is you know setting yourself routines and it is for me at the moment doing yoga every night before I go to bed because I have terrible insomnia and it is cutting back on alcohol and all those sorts of things but it's it's funny I I had so I'd given myself permission not to push myself and it turns out that wasn't the answer (laughs) it's like it's okay to have times where you give yourself a break certainly as a you know as a a female member of our species there's definitely times throughout uh, you know every 28 days where it's very important that you rest it's very important that you don't expend yourself are you talking about my don't send that email day i'm talking about you know (laughs) 
No, but it's it's super important, and I learned that in a yoga class, by the way, Tegan. I had you know I had I had a yoga teacher say at the front of the class once, and she was you know was we're in Savasana, and she was um, Savasana. In case in case you're wondering, is is the like the five minutes that you do yoga for? Okay, it's the part yes, with the end, the back end of the class where you just lie there and go, oh fuck, and it's amazing. Anyway, she was telling us in Savasana, she goes, it's, it's really important that you know um, during the you know the heavy you know uh, hormonal days of your cycle that you you don't come here. You give yourself your, your body a chance to rest and relax because your body's, you know, really outputting, you know, just it's, it's shedding and it's, it's doing a, a huge amount of work trying to reset your system for, for another cycle. And trying to do an intense yoga class where you're trying to master your crow pose or your handstand is not the right thing to do on that day. No way. You're just going to do yourself a disservice and get sick. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Well, it's good because one thing that is nice that I've seen definitely cropping up in the past couple of years is more fitness apps. And I mean, the mainstream fitness apps are including period tracking in their services, which is something that was just excluded for such a long time. It has become easier to stay on top of all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. But I think if you feel like, oh, f*** it, I shouldn't go and do any exercise today. If you get that feeling, in my experience, that's your cue to put on your shoes and at least walk around the block. Just get outside because if you start to let the f***ers pile up, it becomes this overwhelming uh, load of momentum that you can't overcome. So yeah. I used to have this thing when I was battling agoraphobia, like, oh, I'm not going to go to this thing. If, if my brain was trying to start to think of ex- excuses to not go and see a mate for dinner or you know go and play poker with my friends, I'd be like, ah, got it. That means I have to go. And I'll just push myself and do it. And by the time I get there, it'd be great. It seems to me it's a scary thing to do what you do. How do you do it anyway? So the idea of of either walking into a room in a reality TV show kind of situation where there's lots of people who, in some cases, their entire careers are resting on this moment, or in some cases, they're, you know, their romantic aspirations and someone that they love and they're hoping to it's going to be reciprocated is resting on this moment and being able to go, um, this is all over for you. Sorry. And that's, you know, and dealing with that or being in a studio of 600 people live on, in front of, you know, in the old days, a few million people. It's not like that anymore with SVOD. Um, but, you know, and, and just going to do that. Is that what you're asking? Let's go with the first one because I think you yeah. are clearly a very soulful, contemplative person right. who feels things very deeply. And that is basically, do you know what I mean? That is yeah. running a real, that's running real close to some stuff. Right. Well, the, the short answer is that um, I managed to make a, well, that's actually a long answer. I managed to make a career out of my coping strategy, Paul. For what I saying, thought you were going to say I managed to make a shit ton of money and that was enough. I was like, yeah, man. I did, Tegan. But that was, hey, I did make a shit ton of money, but that was pretty pre-GFC uh, and pre-sobriety. So that shit ton of money just went went into the wind like a Blink-182 oh, video off a f-ing roof somewhere. And then once I got sober, I turned around and went, I remember in my bank accounts, there used to be a whole lot of, what the f*** did all that go? What the what what? digits go? So it's been an interesting couple of years <laughs> since then. Um, but no, it's, um, f- for me, anxiety and the anxiety I've, I've lived with since I was a little kid, I manage it hates better now. Um, through meds and exercise and various other things. But the anxiety was always a sense of a lack of control. But when am I more in control than at the first when I was on stage being playing in bands and then when I was on radio and then when I was on television? When am I more in control when I'm the one that's talking, everyone else is quiet, 
I know what's about to happen. I know what's going to happen. I can, in fact, I can say what's going to happen next. And everyone just does what I say. Like, it's absolute serenity. It's complete bliss. So that's kind of, that's how, that's how it started, Paul. I since have a, a far better relationship to it now. I find other ways to find that sense of control and that sense of serenity. But that's how it started. Um, as far as, you know, walking into those rooms and, you know, either telling someone your, your you know, dreams of pop music stardom are over or, you know, your dreams of, you know, being with this man or woman to, you know, make a life with is, is over. I, I always just try to... Like anything, you know, you just got to try and remember and be present to what you're doing and, and be present to the moment. And the whispering is not a put on. The whispering is like, I'm about to tell someone, I'm about to break someone's heart. And I'm about, to, and this, you know, you're a stunning young man, you're a stunning young woman, you're, you know, you've started your own business, you're educated, you're beautiful, you've got more abs than anything. And I'm really sorry, mate, but I'm going to have to break your heart. And mm. how could you not have empathy in that moment? How could you yeah. not say, mate, I'm, I'm really sorry. It's you got to go. It's hard, you know, but I'd rather, you know, you got to remember to, you know, that's the job. The job is to be professional. Like what you're hearing right now, this is this is who I am. This is how I talk. All right. I'm I'm a little subdued because I'm, you know, I'm I'm a little bit of pain. I'm recovering from surgery and so I'm a little subdued today. I've just come off a bike, a rehab bike, and so I'm a little subdued today. But this is this is how I speak. This is how I think about the world. What you're listening to is who I am when you meet me. But what you see on television, that's not me. Well, that's not the me you're getting right now because that's not the job, is it? The job is to do that. That's that job, right? So if you listen to this or you listen to the podcast that I'm the podcasts that I make, that's a that's a far closer, you know, representation of of, of me, I guess, Paul. But I just, I know that you get told this all the time. I know it and I see it. But gosh, I very much appreciate that you can be so profound and so honest with people. And because you are this glistening beacon of calm and poise. And glistening so, beacon. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, but you are. You are. And people, you know, we watch you and you're, you're a comfort for people. But you're seeing me, see Tegan. You. You're seeing me at work. You're seeing this me is the thing, but, when I'm in that you, moment. All right. But you're gracious enough to to be so real about that. I think so many other people just want that that glistening. <laughs> I must glistening stop using beacon. that word. The glistening beacon to be the only thing. But you are so you are so open and you're considerate of people in that you're real about that. And I just think I I really appreciate it. I mean, yeah, no, not even. I just do. I really appreciate well, it. Well, it's it's my my pleasure to take it. Well, I, guess, I guess you know it's important. I'm a firm believer in that you can't be what you can't see and. You know, people, you know, they may have an idea of what either, a, you know, a celiac looks like or someone with OCD looks like or someone who's, you know, been through episodes of psychosis looks like, someone who lives with anxiety. They might have these ideas of what that person looks like. Well, it's that person that you see on your telly doing his job, hopefully quite well. And that's what it can look like when it's managed and you do what your doctors tell you and you've got a supportive, loving, you know, partner and family um, and you take care of your shit, that's what, that's what it can be. So if a diagnosis like that ever comes your way, it's not, you know, it's going to be all right. You just got to take it seriously. That is lovely. Well, Paul, go on. We're stranded on an island and everyone who comes here has to bring one dish with them and yes. it's the dish that they can, you know, it's, it's their desert island dish. So now that you've put all these kind of limitations on yourself or maybe they're freeing i don't know no, they're not what? limitations man everything's you know just invert everything paul invert everything what's it all look like from the other side what are the opportunities here wow i get to eat all of this stuff 
Well, now, with, with that in mind, now we have to know what your desert island dish is. Please enlighten us. And this is the dish that I eat for the rest of my days? Well, it, the way it works, typically speaking, is everyone who comes here brings one dish with them. And now there's so many people here that we've kind of no, opened up a bit. No, you lie, Paul. We, remember, we wiped out last year's Other island residence. Uh, yeah. There's only one person here. It's Ella Hooper. So it's a pretty good person. And she brought Singapore noodles, so she can't share with you. <laughs> no, um, that's fine. Because usually there's a sharing thing. But you, no. I'm afraid you're going to have to bring your little lunchbox just for yourself. Yeah. So, right then. So, for snacks... All right, because I'm, mm. I'm not here for a haircut, right? So for snacks, we're going to do on a from, a from the gluten-free bakery that's nearby, they make this lovely, beautiful sourdough, which I, I, it's cost so much money. So I only get it one every now and again. But we're going to have that toasted with crunchy peanut butter and banana. Now that is, I don't care who you are, but if you haven't tasted peanut butter and banana... It's just the best. It's a beautiful thing. I want to know how much this loaf costs. Go on. It's, lay it it's, like bonk, it's bonkers. Are we talking what? above 15? Uh, I think it's $9.50, but it's, it's oh. I, I get maybe a, a day and a half of toast out of it. It's yeah. so small, but it, it is, it's a luxury. It's a Great. here and there. Um, so that's for snacks, but you can also use it for hummus, which is amazing. But the dish we're going to eat is um, it is the dish that is the, and it ties us back to what we were talking about earlier. The, I, I guess the second date that I had with my wife Audrey, she came over to the apartment that the network had rented me to live in while I was making season two of The Bachelor. Mm. and she cooked me a potato and eggplant curry. Now, my wife Audrey is from Fiji, which if you've never been there, is a very interesting place. Um, it is a, you know, one of these wonderful, wonderful places that is trying to, you know, put itself back together after being exploited by colonialism for so many years. And uh, as a result, there's a, a there's the intense uh, and, and wonderful and vibrant and incredible gifted to the planet of the culture of the Fijian people. Yet there is also the descendants of the uh, Indian and Chinese um, workers who worked the farms that uh, lived there for so long under the British. And so there's this incredible mix of traditional uh, Fijian kind of, I guess, village kind of food, Indian and Chinese. And my wife, Audrey, is a quite the quite the, the the kind of classic kind of you know she's a she's got it all going on as far as you know her her the mix of of, of herbs and spices that make up who she is she's you know mum's chinese fiji and dad's indian Samoan. i think like there's a lot anyway the night she came out of my house she cooked me this potato and eggplant curry and i've had plenty of curry in my time i even actually i even had curry once when i accidentally traveled to india but that's another story <laughs> Uh, I did not mean to travel to India, but I, who does? I accidentally, I accidentally ended up in Mumbai, purely by accident. What? It's a whole other tale, whole other tale, tale. So I have even, I have even, even eaten curry in India, and she was starting to cook this food, and the spices, and the smell of the spices, and the taste, and this, this dish that is just prepared with just love, and and anyway, that that dish that she made, she even, and I can't eat it anymore, but she even made the roti from scratch the flatbread oh. she made roti from scratch that night oh, and God. it was just incredible and she still makes that dish today and every time she cooks it i smell that and go oh that's right i remember what happened that night 
and it's potato and eggplant. I think they call it banyan is the eggplant. I think that's either a Hindi. I think it's a Hindi name. And she throws some uh, she throws some red kidney beans in there as well, and some <sighs> sometimes some okra. And it's oh. oh. Bindi See, you're absolutely Hindi right. It's that. about the possibilities. We mm-hmm. were, we, Paul and I had a chat before this. And we're like, I wonder what Usher's going to bring in. We're just not sure with all these limitations, but there are no limitations. <laughs> you have brought in a dish that is actually one that's so close to my heart right yeah. now, and I would be eating first thing. Uh, yeah, I, I thoroughly recommend, because um, if we're going to be on an island, I mean, eat island food, dude, seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so things like, you know, taro and cassava and you know, coconut and all that stuff's available to you. And um, look, if you haven't had deep fried cassava, uh, you want to talk about chips, all right? You want to talk about potato chips, that is amateur hour. That is child's play. You really <laughs> want to you really want to carb up? You really want to really stack that glycogen into your body? <laughs> Get some deep fried cassava <laughs> in here and you'll thank me. Oh, my God. That shit. You run a marathon after that. It's amazing. Well, Asha, thank you so much for being on the show. We've just loved having you. And you're trapped on our island forever now. Sitting Have on top fun. of a clifftop, just a glistening beacon, just <laughs> winking in the darkness. Where in the world is our island, by the way? It's an island of requirement. It, it, it is where it needs to be, but it's also nowhere near where you need it to be. It's right. very inconvenient and uh, okay. very dangerous. I'm going to say the South Pacific. Why not? Oh, okay, I'm grateful. Okay. It's warm. It's uh, very warm. I'm good. I'm in then. Oh no! There was no. There's no option. You, you're here now. You oh. don't get to. You don't get to leave. Well, do my family get to come? Because I, yeah. I, I miss them. I'll make an exception for you, just because you're so glistening. Oh. Paul. Yes. I think I'm in love with Usher. Oh no. I well, you can't blame me. He's so smooth. <laughs> He's so smooth and wise. He's so glistening. He's so beautiful. He's amazing. And he's on the island now, which means anytime anything unduly tragic happens on this island, he can wander in and kind of just take the edge off. Give it a bit of a you know, just just back announce it so it doesn't seem quite so horrifying. God, he does put such a positive spin on everything, doesn't he? Mm. But so does our wonderful guest who will be joining us on Dish Island next week. She is somebody who very much much like Ella Hooper, I had a huge crush on when I was younger. Once again, we won't tell you outright who is joining us on the island. Mm. Let's just say it's quite convenient that we'll be jumping from the host of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette to this next guest. Yes, she's in Schmatula Schmerls. Why would you? <laughs> Why would you? every time I, I try to, I try to tease. <laughs> Leave little breadcrumbs and know, then you I, just no, swing in. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, Schmatula Schmel won three Arias. You are a bad person. But I'm a good co-host. <laughs> and Tegan and I will be joining you again next week for an episode of Dish Island. So don't forget to head along to Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Leave us a review and a rating if you can. It's the best way to show your love for the show. Oh, and also... If you like the show, tell your friends about it. Also, it's my birthday this week, and if you love me, you'll tell your friends about the show. That's right. Consider it a very, very cheap, very effective birthday present. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you next time for more Dish Island. Eat your veggies! Eat your veggies! That was a bit threatening. (laughs) Jesus. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Dish Island. Dish Island is a proud member of the ACAST Creator Network. 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 